The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content. This is Amtower Off Center, sponsored by General Dynamics Information Technology. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of government contracting. Amtower Off Center with your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm Mark Amtower. I have two guests today. I have Dan Snyder of Bloomberg Government and Larry Allen of Allen Federal. Uh, gentlemen, welcome to the show. Mark, it's great to be here. Thanks. Hi, Mark. Thanks so much for having us. Dan, tell people uh, who you are and what you do over there at Bego, please. Certainly. Uh, my name is Dan Snyder, and I am uh, Deputy Director of Government Contracts Research at Bloomberg Government. And what do you do? Uh, we analyze the government market, spending trends, uh, contract analysis, agency analysis, um, and perform daily uh, reports on opportunities. And I get about 20 of those every day. Thank you. <laughs> we'll um, keep them coming. Hey, you know, I, I, I need information. Larry, do you... Do you <laughs> If, if people have heard the show, they should know what you do, but go ahead. Well, I use the information that Dan and his group send out as well, but Allen Federal is uh, in the market assisting government contractors with ways of improving their government business, whether it's intelligence gathering or contract compliance, uh, problem solving. Allen Federal has been doing this for 28 years in one guise or another. One guise or another. <laughs> Once upon a time at the coalition in the last, what, Nine Last years? Almost eight years now. There you go. Mm-hmm. Ain't it fun working for yourself? <laughs> the life of the 1099 is yeah. not for the week of, of Constitution. No, no. <laughs> <There. laughs> and, and what we're going to talk about today is uh, very much uh, around that. So, uh, so Dan, let's, uh, we're going to do uh, a little bit on end of FY right now, and then we're going to take a look forward to the beginning of FY. So, uh, Mr. Snyder, who's got money left, and how can I get some? Yes. Uh, so the end of the fiscal year is about eight weeks away or so, or I guess even shorter than that, about five to six here. Um, and I guess the answer would be that they all have money left, um, but not to be too sarcastic, it's identifying the agencies who have more of it than others. Um, Larry and I performed a uh, end-of-year spending spree uh, to determine and analyze those agencies which have the most remaining. And it's really extraordinary to see uh, which agencies spend more than others and which are a little bit more conservative. So if we look at uh, the civilian agencies, um, it's really uh, a, a vast uh, difference across the board. An agency such as uh, Department of Energy uh, has spent nearly all of its budget, which I suppose wouldn't be overly surprising because they have um, obligations to uh, put on contract right at the beginning of the year. Um, some other agencies such as Health and Human Services, um, the Veterans Affairs, uh, Homeland Security, um, transportation and Department of Justice are amongst those who have uh, a large majority still remaining. Um, HHS has about uh, 10.3 billion of its uh, about 26 billion that they put on contract each year. Um, VA still has uh, about 6.7 billion uh, of their money uh, remaining to put on contract by the end of the year. 
And Department of Transportation has more than half or, or $10.7 billion, uh, of their dollars still remaining. So um, while they all have money, some agencies are certainly more attractive uh, to do business with and target towards the end of the year. Is that, is that because the money isn't generally queued in a particular direction already? I think that, and, and this year was a bit peculiar in terms of uh, the budgets being allocated. So um, I don't know if there's any degree of certainty, but there's theories that uh, because they didn't know that the budgets were passed, they were somewhat more conservative this year. Um, and then in the end, they got an, an increase in their annual budget. So um, we may have more money available at the end of the year than we have in years past. So Maybe we should raise those micro purchase levels for the last week up to you know, <laughs> yes, seven or figures so. or something. <laughs> um, that, that you know, I saw. I, I think it was one of your reports. I get so many, uh, but I saw one thing that said in uh, the last FY. Somewhere between six and a half and seven percent of the budget was spent literally in the last week. Yes, that's exactly correct. Um, it's even a bit higher than that. I think uh, it's about eight percent that's spent in September alone. Um, and then if we go back to to Q four, um, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of thirty three to thirty five percent of the annual five hundred billion dollars uh, that the government spends is put on contract in Q four alone. So. Uh, certainly an exciting time for government contractors uh, that we're in and will continue until the end of September. Okay. It will indeed, Mark, continue right up until the very end of the fiscal year. That's why I'm telling contractors, don't take your vacations until October 2nd. There's also plenty of work to be done on contract renewals on the first day of the new fiscal year, things like leasing and maintenance. So not only are you going to have a very busy last week, as Dan mentioned particularly this year because of the vagaries surrounding when agencies got their money and how much money they were going to get, but also because uh, there's a lot of stuff that's done on automatic renewals, leases, maintenance uh, for next year. So, you know, October's a great time of year to see the leaves change and take a couple of days off, but between now and then there's plenty of work to be done. Yeah. Uh, your your uh, admonishment not to take time off until the second is is – well-founded. Max Peterson told me a story once when he was VP at uh, Federal at uh, CDW. Uh, He kept his team in the sales room and the finance people right beside them until midnight every time zone around the world. And about five minutes uh, before the last time zone, they got uh, an order that they had been bidding back and forth from. Max got on the phone after it closed and said, can I ask you a question? Contracting officer said, sure. He said, why did you pick us? And the contracting officer said, because the other guys stopped answering their phone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's and it, right. it was a significant order. So well, That proves the point, and there are going to be plenty of examples like that this year. Yep. So are, are there specific opportunities out there that that you can, I mean, agencies with ops? I mean, you know, I go back to uh, the report that you guys did on, on CDM, the spending between uh, 2012 and 2016, uh, and it was like a billion plus dollars, which drove GSA to create the BPA and a uh, special item number for CDM. Yes. Right? So are, are there... Opportunities, are there specific technologies or specific agencies with problems? 
You know, that's a good question, Mark, and it's it's difficult to determine um, because you hear one story, and, and I, I certainly uh, think the government has ambitions to uh, compete contracts, get propul- or get the, the final RFPs out uh, before the end of the fiscal year. Uh, one in particular that we're tracking at Bloomer Government is Dias at uh, DISA, which is an $8 billion contract for information technology services. Um, and according to the agency, they still plan to, to drop that before the end of the fiscal year. Um, but inevitably, a lot of those opportunities will slip and, and will be competed in uh, fiscal 19. In addition to Dias, um, uh, not to, to uh, foreshadow too much, um, is uh, the the CMS. And they have uh, a couple interesting uh, opportunities that we're watching in that, at that agency as well. And a lot of money. <laughs> they do. Uh, they're consolidating one contract, which is valued uh, currently at $25 billion, and that's their Network of Quality Improvement and Innovation Contractors, or NQIIC. And they also have another one that's generated a large degree of interest, and that is known as Ramada. Um, and the predecessor for that one uh, was worth $7 billion. Uh, it currently has obligations in the neighborhood of 1.5. So uh, that is likely to be competed, uh, both of those, in fiscal 2019. And are those IDIQs? Both of them are, yes. IDIQ multiple award contracts. Um, I, I don't know the the exact amount uh, on, on both or if they've confirmed the estimated awardees they're anticipating on those two contracts. Uh, but Ramad is an interesting one. It analyzes and uh, uh, enforces compliance with uh, the Affordable Care Act um, and is held by uh, all large businesses at this point right now. As we transition to Ramada 2, uh, that could change and we could host some small businesses. But based on the complexity of the work, it's likely that the vast majority of orders will continue to go to large businesses. Yeah, which is kind of weird for CMS because they're one of the most uh, small biz friendly agencies that I've seen. They are indeed, yes. Yeah. <clears throat> I know they are certainly on the Spark contract. Spark is, is one example, um, and I think it just comes down to the orders and requirements that they need fulfilled. Sure. Um, Spark, they do a lot of work to small businesses. Something like Ramada 2 may be a little bit more challenging. Okay. Um, Larry, you suggested a uh, uh, an interesting um, topic for this, uh, you know, uh, contracting officer or IT person saying, how do I buy from you? Well, that, <laughs> that's right, Mark. I think that there's an awful lot of justifiable attention paid to promoting your solution if you're a government contractor and why your solution is best for a particular opportunity. But a lot of companies aren't prepared to answer the how question. Uh, what is obvious? What is my solution? But how do I get to you? And I talked to a company just today, Mark, that is looking for salespeople who can answer the how question because their current reps are having a difficult time delivering that part of the equation to federal buyers. That's really important, especially this time of year when you don't have a lot of time to get something done and you have a contracting officer, you have a, a customer that is looking to answer the how question to get something done quickly and efficiently so they can move on to the next 10 things they have to get done before the end of the day-to-day. So if you're a contractor, you need to be able to say, this is how you get to me, whether it's from my IDIQ contract like Alliant or GSA or a couple of the ones that Dan uh, just mentioned whether it's through a small business set aside, either yours or that of a small business teammate that you have, 
you need to be able to tell the customer this is the best one or two ways for you to get to me quickly. And it's going to vary from agency to agency. Yes. Uh, one quote that uh, Larry said in our presentation last month that stuck out to me is, um, with, with the large businesses, sometimes they have a vast variety of these multiple award contracts, and they'll go to the agency customer and say, pick a card, any card. Uh, well, maybe that's not the best approach. Maybe it, it would help the agency customer if you map which Mac would be best, which one map has the appropriate labor categories, and you kind of have a basis for why that agency should use that specific Mac. Now, if you're a small business, the approach may be uh, somewhat altered. They might not have the pick-a-card-any-card approach, and they may want to steer them in a specific direction. So so whether you're a large business, small business, the tactics uh, may be slightly different. But uh, the end goal in advising the client why this multiple award contract is the best, why this agency sh- customer should select it, uh, is, is going to pay some dividends uh, in, in the fourth quarter especially. Cool. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I shall return with Dan and Larry right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com, 1500 AM. I'm here with uh, Dan Snyder of Bloomberg Government and Larry Allen of Allen Federal. Um, safe assumption, Dan, that, that, uh, the the loose change in September will be swept up, and one of the large uh, large recipient pools for that will be those uh, IDIQ uh, vehicles out there, be they you know uh, GWAX or other. Almost certainly, um, uh, Professor at GW, where the two of you are both uh, professors, embeds the the principles of desiderata and what that trade off means, whether it's going to be competition efficiency. Uh, and, and making that choice. And at the fourth quarter, it really comes down to efficiency <laughs> yeah. because you're, you're running out of time uh, and you gotta you have to find a, a reliable um, contractor who can satisfy the work effectively. Um, and multiple award contracts naturally are a solution for yeah, the that. The competition mechanism. would be, should I go Oasis or Alliant? Or- <laughs> exactly. So um, in the analysis that we did in July, um, it, it unsurprisingly found the vast uh, majority of uh, dollars are put on multiple award contracts. Uh, and not only IDIQs overall, uh, but uh, GSA and VA federal supply schedules as well as government-wide acquisition contracts, which are pure-play IT vehicles. Um, and it's really surprising. We broke it out month by month um, in, in July, August, and September to really fine-tune how much spending uh, goes on those vehicles in particular. And it, it's about a third of GWAC spending, which has been on the rise for the past five years at least, is putting on uh, is being obligated through GWAC such as Alliance, CIO, SP3, NASA, Soup, uh, and others. Um, so certainly uh, a strong uh, place to be if you're a contract holder on any one of those vehicles uh, will be beneficial. Yeah, and you know one of the things that just amazes me is when I'm looking at websites or LinkedIn company profiles or individual profiles, finding which contracts you're on. Sometimes it's just not easy. And I'm going, you know, what the heck are you thinking? You know, if you own one of these bad boys, I'd be up there, you know, the top of the Tower Club building with a flag waving it. You know? well, that's an interesting point, Mark. And point of fact, in my experience, just because a company has a uh, IDIQ contract doesn't mean that everybody in that company knows they have 
that IDIQ contract. It kind of depends. Some companies have centralized management offices and some are aligned to specific business lines and they may not even know that they have a presence somewhere, which leads to all kinds of interesting questions, not the least of which is compliance, but that's a topic for another show. Yeah, we'll we'll do that another time. We'll even bring Dan back for that one. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you, you brought up a point between uh, takes, Larry, about uh, a personnel migration, not necessarily a voluntary migration at HHS. So uh, delve into that for a moment, please. Sure. Well, so what I'm referring to, Mark, is – the chief information officer for HHS was essentially relieved of her duties and reassigned to another project just this week. And uh, the acting CIO is now the chief technical officer. So my question is that how much does a move like that impact major IT spending at HHS uh, or any other agency that has those types of personnel moves this time of year? You've got... Uh, somebody who's really been in the driver's seat. We know that for the last couple of years, CIOs have played an increasing role in acquisition, uh, right along with the acquisition workforce. Uh, They have priorities. And if there's a move that's made like this, particularly this time of year, you've got to wonder, was there a problem with prioritization? Was there a problem with specialization? Uh, What was the issue? So, I think that when you're doing out, going out and doing your sales calls, and that's something that's obviously outside of a contractor's control, but you've got to be cognizant of the environment that you're doing business in. Suddenly, if you've got a good relationship with the CTO, that's now worth a heck of a lot more than it was last week. Conversely, if you thought that the CIO had blessed your project, that may or may not be worth so much right now. Uh, I, so I think it, intuitively that's got to be disruptive. But my question for Dan is, have you all ever done anything to show what type of disruption occurs uh, at a strategic level anyway when you have senior level uh, personnel shifts? Um, yes, Larry. So the, the CIO you're referring to, Beth Kaloran, um, is has been in her post since 2014. Um, certainly uh, information technology acquisitions at HHS are, are a huge undertaking. So uh, well, we haven't performed any specific analysis about what what the level of disruption and what may be wiped off the table and what projects may be reprioritized or shuffled. Um, I would hazard to guess that that when you get your CIO ratings and, and your <laughs> uh, projects in your green, yellow, and red, um, it can't push a lot of those initiatives to the green unless there's someone in place who's who's really uh, ready to take it and, and run with it um, and has some experience in uh, the, the technical aspects and what it takes to, to keep those alive. Um, so certainly any transition is going to make uh, the success of those endeavors more difficult. Uh, now, Kaloran still is with the agency, so she may be able to advise them and uh, provide a, a more broad guidance depending on the uh, importance of the project, but... but I, I, I would imagine it comes at a, a very odd time with only uh, weeks left in the fiscal year to uproot someone of her stature. Right, and that's just kind of an example of the type of things that can happen. I don't want to pick on HHS, but there are a number of agencies where similar types of personnel moves, I think, intuitively could disrupt your year-end business. So I'm not sure what contractors can do about that. But again, it pays to know your environment, and if you've got – 
one champion inside the agency, that suggests that maybe you ought to have at least two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, we get back to uh, the latest buzz phrase in the business world is uh, account-based marketing and the government market, that's agency-based marketing. Uh, why people consider this new puzzles me. We've been doing it for ages. But to your point, uh, you know, leveraging tools like LinkedIn, you can find a lot of people uh, in those agencies. There's 2 million feds on LinkedIn. So uh, and and at least 15 percent of those have IT related job titles and another 40 percent are programmer project managers. So the, the warm bodies are there, folks. It's, it's up to you to find them and develop those multiple levels of relationships but that that the uh, the transition there makes a good segue into uh, how how would that impact nineteen for uh, for HHS? But let's let's talk about prepping for twenty nineteen overall. And and Larry, we have this conversation every damn year. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and gee, are we going to have a CR or is it actually going to go to shutdown this time? Well, I think there's a lot of talk. People like to talk this time of year, Mark, about the specter of a shutdown. And with this president in the White House, you can't really say with 100% assurance that that's not going to happen. All we could say right now is that it appears less likely uh, to some degree than it has in other years. Um, at the same time, we've had the Senate that has stayed in session for a good bit of August making some significant progress on FY19 spending bills to the point where the chairman of the Senate Appropriations Committee came out earlier this week saying, uh, we think we can actually get a package of bills together that would cover up to 70% of discretionary spending to uh, the House and maybe get it passed. Now, of course, the, 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 the question that the uh, reporters actually uh, absolutely asked was, was the president going to sign it? Nobody knows that. I suspect the president doesn't know that answer either until it lands on his desk. Uh, but uh, you could actually end up with some uh, spending bills passed this year. However, I'm going to take the role of a hard-bitten cynic and say that most, if not all, the government's going to start FY19 under a continuing resolution. Okay. <clears throat> Yes, um, and it doesn't seem like uh, or contractors necessarily should be advised to prepare. I think they, at this point, to realize that it's a status quo, and 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 once we hit October first, um, we we continue with operations with the understanding it will be under a continuing resolution. Right. I think the real question is how long will you operate under a continuing resolution, and how much of the government will be covered by that. And if you're taking an optimistic view, uh, then you would say, well, maybe not by October 1st, but certainly by Thanksgiving. But I think, uh, as I've mentioned on uh, Dan's webcast recently, that a lot of that depends on the outcome of the November election. If the House of Representatives mm -hmm. changes hands in political terms, uh, that may cause a lot of current congressmen to drop back and punt to the next Congress, which won't convene until January. So... <clears throat> kind of regardless of how much work the appropriations committees have done and how ready they are to pass something, there's a ever-present political element that's going to definitely impact timing. 
So methane production continues on Capitol Hill. <laughs> so we're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. We shall return. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm here today with Dan Snyder of Bloomberg Government. Uh, uh, Website is bgov.com? Yes, sir. There you go. Um, I suggest you take a look. A lot of interesting stuff. And uh, Alan Fer- Larry Allen of Allen Federal, A-L-L-E-N federal.com. Uh, get get uh, uh, Larry's weekly newsletter. It's really a quick read. Comes out Monday, usually just before lunch. And he'll give you three quick hits on things that are hitting the fan. Um, in one way or another. So let's let's talk, Larry, about uh, what what you called introducing your 2019 model year solutions. That's right, Mark. And what I'm talking about is taking the first three or four months of the fiscal year as the time to introduce your new or newly packaged solutions to your federal prospects. This is the time of year when your federal prospects actually a want to hear from you about what's new in the market because they need to stay on top of market developments. But B, importantly, Mark, the first three or four months of the year is when they have the time to listen to you. This is the time when you can have those types of strategic discussions that many contractors like to have about this is the solution that you can get. These are the benefits. This is the immediate return on investment that's available to you, the technological advantages, whatever it is that you've got. Just like car makers roll out their 2019 model year over the summer of 2018, Mark, so too should government contractors use the first three or four months of the fiscal year to roll out their model years. Trying to have that conversation in July or August with any government buyer or customer is going to be a fruitless endeavor. They're going to be busy. They're not going to have time. And frankly, some of them might be a little bit ticked off that you're trying to have that long conversation with them when most experienced companies know that the time to really have that discussion is in November or December. So I think that if you haven't prepared your message for next year, you start thinking about that now so that you're ready to have those conversations at the events, at the one-on-ones that are going to have time to take place and take place richly in our calendar in October and November, and the, particularly the individual calls you can do in November and December. Yes, uh, I, I couldn't agree with you more, Larry. Uh, the only uh, additional thing that I would add to that is, in so doing, uh, also at least have some uh, background knowledge about what that agency customer uh, is trying to dive into. So maybe don't just attack them with, with your offerings, but uh, <laughs> use an approach that says this is these are the new uh, offerings that I have, and they can help you do and achieve X, Y, Z uh, by by a certain way. Um, one initiative that uh, we're tracking um, at Bloomberg Government, uh, my colleague uh, Chris Cornelli <laughs> recently uh, analyzed this idea of security operation centers as a service, um, and he likens this principle uh, or theory uh, to the next wave of infrastructure as a service or the idea of software as a service. Um, and security operations centers or SOCs um, will be housed by a government agency. Um, but it's it's the principle that, that the agencies are, uh, I don't want to say failing, but 
uh, struggling to uh, house and maintain cybersecurity professionals. Um, so the security operations centers are the ideas that it will be housed by a specific agency, which hasn't been announced yet. Uh, it seems as though Department of Homeland Security, uh, with their continuous diag- diagnosis centers, would, would be a good place or home for these uh, security operations centers. And then they could rely on the support of contractors uh, when that surge support is needed uh, to provide the necessary or requisite cybersecurity professionals, services, and support throughout the fiscal year. So uh, these new centers are, are looking uh, to be established midway through fiscal 19 and could offer a boon to contractors providing cybersecurity services. Yeah. So to, to kind of... Uh, um backtrack a little bit here during the uh the break we were talking about a, a bunch of other emerging technologies um do you see some of these things uh migrating into the uh everything as a service platform things like ai and machine learning and to the extent possible the the difficult part is uh defining what each agency wants by emerging technologies and that's a question we get frequently from our clients um and our response is uh, there's some that are obvious, uh, such as cloud cybersecurity, machine learning, um, but there's others that are that are not right in front of your face. So um, we like to do uh, some analysis agency by agency to see uh, which uh, what DARPA means by emerging technologies, what Homeland Security means by emerging technologies, and by looking through some um, some statements of work. Uh, you can get a sense of exactly what that agency on a on a larger scale is seeking to accomplish. Now, they do have a bit of discretion because emerging technologies uh, isn't what they want right now. It's what they could want in the future. <laughs> so trying to define exactly what that will be is, is, is a difficult endeavor. But certainly paying attention to what they've released thus far, seeing what your uh, contract can offer uh, is a worthwhile task. I think that's a a great point, Mark, and it is very close, uh, practically sibling to the point that I like to make, which is that as a government contractor, you have to really understand what innovation means in the federal context, because it's not the same thing as the commercial market definition of innovation. Your federal customer tends to generally be a little bit more cautious, uh, unless you're talking about a group like DARPA whose job it is to be uh, on the cutting edge of things. But as you're planning your your new solutions and you're planning your approach to government business, uh, understanding that the government, more often than not, like state of the market rather than state of the art, is a good place to be. Yeah, I want to be third. I don't want to be first because right. I don't like bleeding. And it, you know, kind where, of- where has this been done before? If the answer is nowhere, well, you're going to have a, a steep hill. Yeah. And if you have these these uh, technologies that are starting to make sense for the agencies, the vendors are going to understand this, and then their job is to figure out which vehicles should they try to get them on. And I want to backtrack because, you know, if it's a product, soup and CIOCS and 70 seem like the logical places to, to start. <clears throat> I think that's exactly right. Those are the three – uh, preferred vehicles for desktops and laptops, Mark. Uh, and you know, we've talked previously here about category management and why that's the case. But even for things that aren't desktops or laptops or, or uh, off-the-shelf software, 
the three contracts you just mentioned, SOUP at NASA, the GSA-70, and NIH's CIO-SP contract, those are three of the larger contracts, particularly for IT products. And those are the ones, uh, every agency has their favorite, but among those three, you're going to find an agency favorite almost every time out of the box. Yeah. That's exactly correct. We like to refer to those as Big Macs and, and going back to the <laughs> point that as opposed to Mini Macs, which are, you know, below the $250 million or uh, mid-sized Macs around $500 million, the Big Macs will, will always dominate, as we emphasized in the um, uh, first part of the show here. But when we're talking about your approach in fiscal 2019... Um, it kind of gives you a chance to step back, take a deep breath, and say, "What did I miss out on?" And certainly uh, worthwhile to to take a look and 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 say, "Which which gaps do I have uh, in reaching a government customer?" And and is there an on ramp available where I can get on that Mac? Is there um, somewhere or some competition, whether it be a mini Mac, a big Mac that has revolving on ramps such as the schedules? Uh, what do I need to add to my existing multiple award contract portfolio to increase uh, my efficiency and effectiveness in fiscal 2019? And well, this, this is- would be an ideal time to mention this then. You guys have a webinar coming up on the top 20 emerging vehicles for 2019 beyond. Correct. Yes. Uh, September 25th, uh, we'll do our annual. I think this is about the fifth year or so that we've performed the top 20 analysis where we take a look at the most lucrative deals uh, in the federal market, which are likely to be competed um, in fiscal 2019. So Now, we'll- are these all new or are you talking about on-ramps as well? <clears throat> Uh, good question. Uh, they are all new in the past, and if it does occur in the future, if there's some compelling argument to include one uh, in an on-ramp, we have done so in the past. The only case has been GSA's Oasis, just given the the, the, the significance <laughs> and importance of that contract, uh, we'd be remiss not to add it. But the the overwhelming majority are all uh, recompetes or or new contracts that are uh, being competed. Cool. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. We shall return and wrap up right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm here today with Larry Allen and Dan Snyder. Larry's with Allen Federal. Dan's with Bloomberg Government. You can find Larry at allenfederal.com. You can find Dan at bgov.com. You can find both of them on LinkedIn. I suggest that you do so. And, you know, uh, regardless of whether it's end of FY for 18 uh, or prepping for 19, you know, this this is a relationship-driven market. So networking is absolutely key. And you could spend a lot of time and a lot of money going to all of the wrong events. So <clears throat> let's talk about a few of the right events. So I'll, I'll, I'll kick off with you know, I go to Bloomberg uh, events. I'll, I'll be at nine thirty. Gov. I actually spoke at something called the Blockchain Association, Government Blockchain Association, about uh, a month ago. That was pretty cool. Very small, very focused, right? Um, but I went to a, a Bloomberg event uh, at Bloomberg HQ downtown uh, on the Army uh, a, a while back. And what was cool about it is not just the information, which was great, but the fact that everybody who was there, vendor-wise, was focused on, gee whiz, what? 
the Army. <laughs> so if you have an interest in these things, finding the right venues is key. So um, you've, you've got a couple other events coming up. Dan, what are they? Yes. Uh, so the DOD briefings that you're referring to, we do one for each bureau. We previously held the Navy one uh, in September. Uh, on September 18th, uh, we will host a Air, an Air Force budget priorities briefing at the Weston uh, Washington National Harbor. Um, and our senior defense analyst, Rob Levinson, who's an Air Force alum, uh, will be examining where the money is going in airspace and cyberspace capabilities. Directly following that, in October, we're also ho- hosting the, the, the same Army one, which is complementary to AUSA, held at the convention center. That's and right. That's it was on, like 7 o'clock in the morning so everybody could be there. Exactly. Yeah, so we yeah. get you out the door and on your way to AUSA before things kick off there with a, a full stomach and a, and a breakfast. And that's the Army Market Budgets and Opportunities Briefing. And that's held at our headquarters uh, on 1101 K Street. Cool. And Larry, um, you know, oddly enough, I don't see you at some mm-hmm. of the uh, events that I go to, and you don't see me at a lot of the mm-hmm. events that you go to. So, what's your criteria for selecting events to attend? Well, Mark, what I'm looking for is uh, a smaller group of people where you can actually do some good networking, but it has to have so have information as part of it, rather than just getting a bunch of people together uh, for drinks after work. Uh, which has some value to it. But uh, I think you have a bigger draw and potentially a more valuable event if you're giving out some sort of information, whether it's uh, a government speaker or an organization like Dan's that has very good uh, intelligence on what's going on in specific market segments. Uh, Having good content is going to be key to driving a good event. Uh, I'm also, as I said, a big believer in, in smaller events, ones that are maybe anywhere from 50 to 300 people. I think there's a good opportunity to talk with speakers from government agencies, government attendees at those events, as well as to network with your fellow contractors. If you're going to an event that has over a 1,000 people, uh, you're probably not going to be able to see all the people that you want to see unless you're one of the very large platinum-type sponsors. But the larger point that I want to make, Mark, is that October and November are really a big time in government uh, for events. And as you pointed out at the top of the segment, the government market is very relationship-driven. And I've said it before, and it's still true, that the most successful companies in this market are the ones that understand both the process and the relationship side of this. And it takes both if you're going to really be able to have sustainable government business and to grow that business over time. October and November are arguably some of the best times to build those relationships, particularly with government speakers. You have the ACT-IAC event that's coming up this year in Philadelphia, which is a good one. You have many of the industry associations, particularly my old association, the Coalition for Government Procurement, having its fall conference Uh, But other associations have their conferences. If you're not attending these conferences in October and November, you're missing out on relationship development and relationship development that your competitors, I can assure you, are taking full advantage of. More than one person I know regularly splits their time between events because they overlap. You spend one day at one event, 
in Philadelphia, and the next one is in Crystal City the next day, and you have to drive down for that, so you can catch that as well. And it really is that tight, and it all ends, at least in the big rush, around Thanksgiving. Uh, now, there are obviously events throughout the year uh, which are worthwhile, and, and you can you should go to those uh, as long as they're focused and, and well-constructed. Uh, but uh, particularly October and November, this is the time when the feds come out uh, most frequently and in larger numbers, and you should be there too. Yeah. So um, there, there's a lot of agency-specific events that get zero publicity on purpose because they're invite-only. Uh, I live about 20 minutes from Fort Meade, and I was invited to speak at a CEO luncheon for execs that do nothing but Fort Meade or virtually nothing but Fort Meade. And I was very fortunate to get that because, you know, they usually don't have guest speakers. What they do is have lunch and everybody shares what's coming down the pike. So it's a very open uh, discussion, totally, you know, uh, uh, NDA kind of stuff. Uh, and it stays in that room. But it, I'll tell you what. It was it was very cool. Number one to be invited to speak, but number two to, to to hear how open this was. But here was the cool thing: this was three weeks before CSRA bought Praxis that I spoke there, <laughs> and nobody had a clue. <laughs> That's how. And and you know, deals in this market don't stay that quiet. No. <laughs> so. Dan, what, what's, uh, do, do you get out to other people's events? or We certainly do. Uh, we like to participate as speakers quite frequently. Uh, we also like to attend agency-hosted events uh, where they'll uh, divulge details on a specific, specific contract or opportunity. Uh, we'll attend a lot of GSA's events so we uh, can, can keep a pulse of, of what's on the horizon and which initiatives uh, they're most interested in, in um, performing. Um, but really, as, as Larry alluded to, it's, it's, it, there's not a lack of events. It's certainly uh, how to use your time wisely. Uh, and that's probably most important this time of year between October and Thanksgiving, uh, not just identifying and showing face at all these events, but showing up, making your time worthwhile, uh, having the right conversations and, and making sure your company name, logo, and your own um Personal name are resonating with your customers. Uh, come the, yeah, the you guys don't of the have year. logo wear. <laughs> <laughs> um, you don't either, Larry. No. Huh. Okay. Uh, of course, you know you and, you and I are one man shops. That's My logo wears. I'm the guy in all black. Um, <laughs> easy to spot. Um, give me your final thoughts uh, for for prepping for uh, end of FY or. Any other final thoughts you might have right now? Dan, give us a start here. Uh, sure. So I'll touch on two. Um, and one of the opportunities you mentioned on ramps that we're tracking and we're most excited about is GSA's Oasis. Uh, there's been rumors uh, that an on ramp for, for Pool 1, which is the most lucrative of the seven, could occur in fiscal 2019. Um, and then on the flip side of that, one that's got two of the pools uh, awarded now is DOD's $28 billion IAC award, which is their information analysis center. Um, and they upped the ante on that one from 
uh, consolidating three contracts worth a, a total of about uh, 10 to $12 billion and upped it to $28 billion. So that would indicate to us uh, a large capacity to take place in the coming year. So it'll be interesting to see the orders that flow out of that one. And the last one is uh, DHS Eagle 3, which uh, the past couple fiscal years have had much speculation whether it will be consolidated to existing GUX and host the flow of those orders on an existing contract such as GSA's Alliance Schedule IT70 CIO SP3 or if they'll recompete in Eagle 3. Uh, Tough to tell with certainty. Our guess is there will be an Eagle 3, uh, but ultimately a decision will, will have to be made in fiscal 2019. I know the the first iteration was pretty popular. It certainly was, and still is. It's a it's a it's a it's a great vehicle. I think DHS uh, has done a good job of reporting their dollars, bringing in a, a plethora of contractors. So, uh, for that reasons and more, we do think there will be an Eagle Three. We'll see for sure in in the coming yeah. fiscal year. I, I went to a uh, the Eagle One kickoff. They hosted an event at the Inner Harbor in Baltimore. Uh, and they needed two hotels, <laughs> <laughs> so I I knew there was a lot a lot of vendors. So, Larry, final thoughts, please. I had a couple of final thoughts, Mark. First is that as you're getting ready to do your year end business, you need to focus on the real and not the wished for, which is kind of a way of saying that don't get distracted. You need to focus on what's actually actionable and workable in your pipeline. There are going to be things in your pipeline that are uh, kind of the equivalent of Hail Marys, and those would be nice to have. But if you're spending a lot of time on those, you're going to miss the things that you've got to have or you should have. So my first piece of advice is stay focused uh, and don't get distracted by things that uh, you haven't heard anything about up till this point, uh, because those are going to be your longer shot opportunities. The second thing that we haven't talked about that I wanted to touch on, Mark, and that is when you're doing your preparation for FY19 and putting your events together and your marketing plan, it's also a good time to go through your list of teammates. What have your teammates done for you lately? The fact is that whether you're a large business or a small business, you are most effective in the government market if you have good teammates that can help you, whether they're subcontractors that have specialized skills or a specialized relationship, or whether it's a teammate that uh, augments the services that you're already providing. Uh, You have to do business with teammates in this federal market, but you want to make sure that your teammates are the right ones for you, that it's actually something where everybody's getting something out of the teaming agreement uh, that you have, and they're just not uh, paying you lip service to saying, yeah, we'll sell for you, and then uh, the phone never rings. You never get any emails. You've got to match and manage your teaming agreements and teaming arrangements with other companies that are going to actually uh, do something for you and bring you business just as you need to bring them business to be a good teammate. There you go. Uh, gentlemen, thank you for coming in. Dan Snyder of Bloomberg Government, Larry Allen of Allen Federal. As much as I like it, this is not my day job. I do advise companies on all aspects of marketing to the government as you prepare for 2019. If you want an outside view of your go-to-market strategy, give me a shout. Drop me a line at marketfederaldirect.net. And thank you very much for listening to Amtower Off Center. 
You've been listening to Amtower Off-Center, sponsored by General Dynamics Information Technology. If you missed any part of this program, you can hear the entire show or any of our weekly programs anytime at federalnewsradio.com. Amtower Off-Center, only on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com.